Hello and welcome to the Over and Stumps Cricket Podcast with Jono Baruch and Sean Mortal. We gather once again to discuss another, well, mini crisis on our hands at um, Jollymont, um, an organisation that isn't immune to picking up pieces and cleaning up messes, um, mainly made by their own, but no less. We are talking about Justin Langer and his resignation, and we're here to talk about it all. Sean, great to see you again. It's another one of those weeks and will be another one of those podcasts. Oh, yeah, I think it's uh, given us plenty to talk about again. And I think we're getting just as much work right now as probably the cleanup team down at Jollymont have been the past couple of years. It's, yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't think any of us are surprised after last week's chat, but it just seems to keep happening with Cricket Australia, doesn't it? We mentioned it a few times. The um, the guest in the Hotel California can check out any time it wants, but it never leaves. And it's just drama and it's the way that things have gone on. So... Unfortunately, that's been the biggest cricket story of the week. The women's ashes have wrapped up, which we will discuss again in full. Another fantastic win for the Australian girls. And we will throw ahead to the Women's World Cup as well and talk a little bit about that. And of course, talk a little bit about the Australian test squad that has been named for the historic upcoming tour to Pakistan. But let's talk about the whole Justin Langer thing. We knew it was all going to come to a head at the board meeting on Friday, um, eight-hour board meeting. It was almost as if there was quite a lot of things to discuss, you know, a new coach who was going to be the chair of the board moving forward. But anyone who's anyone just wanted to know what was happening with the coach. And they offered up a no comment on the Friday afternoon. And by Saturday morning, it was revealed that, Justin Langer had indeed resigned and all the first and only thing that I thought of, I wonder what your initial reaction was, was this was just, it could have been so much better. And as far as a breakup's concerned, this was the baddest of bad breakups. Agreed. I think it was pretty rough on, oh, I think you'd say all parties, but especially Langer's sort of party there. I think pretty rough way to go about a, well, I think when you reflect to be a really good tenure as Australian coach, seeing where he came in and where he's got them to. And I know we're going to touch on Pat Cummins' comments later that just came out, but I think it sort of showed that no one had anything against where Langer had taken the team and that the problem, whether it was actually with him or not, or whether it was just sort of, gotten to a point where the Australian team felt like they could stagnate if they didn't freshen it up. I think regardless, it's a pretty harsh way to dismiss Langer, who had a who had a really good time at it when you look back at it, especially those past sort of six or 12 months where, you know, obviously copped that feedback about oh, halfway through last year and then really worked to be a better coach and be less intense and to sort of relate to his players a bit more. But yeah, I think, I don't know, I think personally I found it, unsurprising as to how it ended but at the same time I still thought it was really harsh how quickly it came to a head and I'm not at all surprised in the end Langer decided to resign because I think the little six-month extension he got was something that just didn't make sense for him to take up but I am definitely feeling for Langer the most out of anyone right now because for everything he's done the past few years and the dark place he took over from I think he deserved a bit more respect at the finish. A hundred percent. And I think it's very much that's where everyone's anger is coming towards. And I think what I think about my anger is not towards Pat Cummins or the Australian players. It's more towards Cricket Australia. And they've earmarked Justin Langer as the person that they wanted to bring in at the time when the organisation was on their knees and they wanted Langer and Tim Payne to do a job to restore the restore the mantle of the Australian cricket team as a team that Australians can love and be proud of. And both Langer and I'm bringing up Tim Payne here because he has every bit to do with getting to the place the Australian cricket team is now. Yeah, Pat Cummins came in to finish the job. But I guess when you when you look at it, the summer's been bookmarked by both the um, removal of Tim Payne um, on his own accord as test captain and now is um, estranged from the game. And Justin Langer's also been removed, Justin Langer's removed himself for 
pushed out as senior coach of the Australian cricket team. So we're almost in a place now where it's like, okay, these guys have taken us, Payne and Langer have taken Australia back to where they've wanted to be to a point where they've got the captain that they've wanted to get in, Pat Cummins, leading the team and as part of a successful team. And then it's like, okay, we're back to where we think we are now, number one on the test rankings. We can go at it by ourselves. And just thinking about what Justin Langer has done for Australian cricket, not just as a coach, but as a player and recently inducted into the Hall of Fame, which is another, you know, timing questionable of that. It's just very interesting. And it makes you wonder why anyone would think of being the coach of the Australian cricket team, especially if you're a past great and just looking at how they treat their people. And it could have been so different. Like this whole saga could have played out so differently had they worked better with communicating with their people. It could have. And I mean, you probably flashback a few months ago to after that 2020 World Cup where it was sort of Langer was back on top of it again and heading into this Ashes home summer before even the pain sort of scandal occurred, you probably saw the way that both Payne and Langer's sort of time in the Australian cricket fold coming to an end could have been a lot more of a fairy tale than that. I mean, obviously Payne's was his own doing, but, you know, obviously a skippering a Hobart test in the final one and they end up winning four zip would have been a pretty perfect way to go out for him. But that is, again, that's something that's on him. But Langer's was one, I think, Cricket Australia in particular could have controlled a lot better and with a lot more dignity. And I mean, you look at the fact that he, as you mentioned, he has been put into that hall of fame and inducted. And you just think that is that sort of a token way of trying to show at least a shred of respect to him when I think a much easier way could have been to at least talk about it openly and honestly before the ashes and even during it to say, well, if it's going to end now, let's give you a fairy tale. Let's, you know, let's give you time to get respect from the whole nation because I don't know, putting yourself in Langer's shoes, you'd feel pretty hard done by when you've been put in at a time where Cricket Australia literally needed him to do something above and beyond the job description. Mm -hmm. And he did manage to do that and probably and more to be able to get them to number one in the world and in the test arena and winning a 2020 World Cup and just oozing all of this class and depth. And now all of a sudden, just as you've gotten them to that precipice of, you know, dynasty, greatness, whatever, another strong era of Australian cricket, He's been dismissed. So I also like your point about, you know, it'd be pretty intimidating for any coach coming into this role now because how do you know whether, you know, the next day might be your last day as the Australian coach? Because it doesn't seem results driven anymore, which to me sort of doesn't sit right that regardless of what was happening against Langer the past year or so, the fact that he was able to improve himself and then get success both on and off the field in some manner shows that you should be staying on if you're able to adapt and you know shows you the best fit for it so I think that's the one issue I have is it now sets a precedent where on-field success isn't everything and if anything player power and what's happening in the backroom discussions at Jollymont means almost the most which is damaging going forward if things go astray. I think it leads to a greater discussion too in the role of a head coach in a cricket team you've seen for this um upcoming t20 series coming up justin justin was going to take a backseat role and prepare for pakistan and it was going to be andrew mcdonald and michael divinuto who are taking control of that now they find themselves okay they're the co-head coaches if you will or andrew mcdonald's now the interim coach that might be a discussion for another time but going going back to even before before the Ashes series and after the whole triumph of the T20 World Cup where Lang has gotten himself back back on the straight and narrow and no one's actually saying anything to commit to giving Justin Langer a new contract. And this is, this is a big point that I want to make as well. You can feel for Langer and the way he was treated, but based on everything that has happened in the last six months with all the rumblings and talk and the rumours behind the scenes and all the, you know, the Justin's too intense and got to change his ways and it was really too much for the players that it, they were going to, there was a mutiny against him. Okay, you can feel for him in the way he was treated on the way out, but you could almost sense that this is happening. And I didn't like the whole giving him a six-month contract as a token finisher, which... Justin Langer was right to turn down because it would have gone against 
every fiber of his values and his own beliefs, which he even said in his resignation letter. But to your point, which you said so beautifully, how much different would have it been if Justin Langer would get the send off like a John Buchanan did at the end of the 0607 Asher series and World Cup, where you make the announcement, if you know that this is likely going to be the end of the road, you go, hey, Justin, or even announce it to Australia saying, this will be Justin Langer's last summer as Australian coach. Let's use this Asher series to really go out on a high and send Justin off as a fantastic, as a legendary player and as a legendary coach. And hey, you can even top it off with the Hall of Fame thing at the end. It could have been, it could have been so, so different. And we could be talking about Cricket Australia and Pat Cummins in a totally different way that we're having this conversation now instead they keep falling back into the trap where it's just like okay well if you're finished in in terms of you're finished doing what we've wanted you to do you're nothing to us anymore almost and unfortunately cricket australia have a history of continuing to do this as we move by as we keep on moving on in their history and you just hope that it finishes up sooner rather than later because as i just said before who's going to want to take on that role as a senior coach with the players having seemingly as much power as they've ever had and it's like well the second we don't like you will conspire against you to give you the flick it is a bit like that and i mean despite that increased player power i think to me the biggest grievance I have is against Cricket Australia. And I think it's built up over the past few years and even built up with how they even handled the Tim Payne saga through that. But I think what's now bothering the most is now, I think Cricket Australia has shown a pattern that they're, I think they're just turning more political than ever. And I know there's a lot of talk against, you know, the Indian cricket board and how money driven they may be at times. But to me, I would be more troubled about how political Cricket Australia is golden and how they're almost just disposing good coaches and good players and everything at, at the flick of a hand when they decide it's not right for their own agendas, which is pretty troubling because suddenly it doesn't become a cricket organisation. It becomes a business and it becomes about the personalities high up. And I think to me, although I agree with your point, Jono, which you definitely raised brilliantly, which is that although it, we all feel bad for Langer, it was definitely the writing was on the wall for a long time and we all knew it was going to happen. I think, I think just we're all disgruntled because it just should have happened so much better. I mean, when you look back at it, it, instead of Cricket Australia making another scandal or controversy of their own, it could have just been the exact opposite. It could have been one of the great days in recent Australian cricket history and a, a coach who came and gave his all to change himself and to change sort of, you know, turn around 180, the fortunes of the Australian test team and even their other, you know, international teams could have been given a proper send-off for what he's well, done. But it's... What does that documentary mean if they've just turfed him out like that? Like that they've literally, they literally bought Langer in to make Australians proud and rebuild that Australian test team, which they made a 10-part documentary on. And now you're looking at that, okay, Payne's gone. Justin Lang has gone and with Justin Lang has left office with um, being kicked off the front stairs. And then that's almost what it's, that's almost what it's like. So does that documentary mean anything anymore to what has happened to this team and the course of nature that this team's gone, gone on? Well, it's definitely not got the same appeal as to what it would have had a year or two ago when you watch and it all ends up positive. And although, you know, Langer obviously looks intense in that, as he always has, even during his playing days, everyone knew what JL brought to the table and no one had a problem with it until Cricket Australia had a problem with it. And then suddenly that was the end where so many other people could have had a problem with it and that was it. But straight away, a few of the players decide they want to go a different direction and all the high-ups at Cricket Australia realise they can use that to their advantage. It just is gone and that's it. And, I mean, to me, that makes a documentary look pretty void. If You know, obviously they're not that proud of him and not that grateful for what he's done because if you were, you would show that and actions speak louder than any press release that's going to come out now from Nick Hockley and the likes. It's it's They've, they've done it. They've showed with their actions what they really think of JL, which is a big problem. And, yeah, I don't know. I just can't believe it has happened that way. Although we all knew it was going to happen. I think the way it's happened so quickly without a shred of respect is the problem. And I don't have too much of an issue with Cummins and co, but what I'm worried about now is 
I think this Australian team on field wise could be one of the great teams going forward. I think they have everything there to be one of the better test teams we've ever put on the park for a fair bit of time. But the problem is now, are they going to get their off field stuff right? And I'm now worried that, you know, if these player power increases and is it going to change the way their whole chemistry works and their whole change room? And is it suddenly going to be the one thing that's going to disrupt this Australian cricket team from being one of the better teams we've seen in recent memory? So that is what I'm probably most worried about because it now just shows that there could be something that could stop this side where, whereas after the Ashes series, when we thought Langer might have a bit more left, he thought, well, it can only go onwards and upwards. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting point. It's interesting as well to note that the players have slowly come out in jibs and drabs and not really endorsing Langer or speaking complimentary of him. It was interesting to know that, or to note that Lisbon Kawaja, who's you've seen in that documentary, has had a few problems with Justin Langer and has spoken openly and honestly on his own platform and Discord about Justin Langer as a coach. Alex Carey also spoke complimentary in a way of Justin Langer when he'd already been dismissed as well. Just they're probably the only ones, the players that haven't spoken about it at all. And even, you know, come and speaking today in his statement and just wrapping up, finished speaking to the media before we've gone on to record, even saying that he thanked Justin Langer for everything that has done and accepted that, okay, yeah, we did approach Justin Langer with these are the things we want you to do. And he did that, even though, didn't really have to do, even, even though he didn't really have to do it. It's it's all it's almost as if like I, I'm trying I'm trying to think about it in a different lens. It was just like almost if you have a football coach and the players aren't happy with the football coach, but the uproar usually comes from the public and the supporter base. Whereas the supporter base here was clearly behind Justin Langer. This was clearly player driven, and yeah, it it just makes it really interesting moving forward as well to see number one who is going to take the job and b where as you rightfully said where does this leave the back room of cricket australia and will it continue being a revolving door how long will coaches want to sign on for will they just get coaches for specific jobs and specific tasks and even more so which i think is the next point is how will they managed to entice some um, former past players who have gone on to be great coaches to want and take that Australian job after seeing how, after seeing the way that their little mate was treated, would they want to go and take on that type of role and be subjected to that criticism by players and medias and general public? Well, you're definitely right on that. And uh, the uproar from all these former players, although, you know, a lot of people dismissing it and maybe not giving it the airtime that it, others might be I think it is still worrying that you know you have all these Australian greats from our last great era who are now sort of turning their back on this current team and Cricket Australia all because of what's gone down the past week and and I think that's fair enough from their perspective whether they to be so vocal out in the media about it is up for debate but you know everyone's their own person and a lot of them have big media personalities now so that is a way to sort of have their outlet to speak their mind but it is definitely a worry because you're suddenly burning bridges again if you're Cricket Australia and they've done it before. You think, you know, obviously Cricket Tasmania and Tim Payne and all his collective wouldn't be too wrapped at Cricket Australia and, you know, there'd be plenty of other camps who'd be grumpy over the years. you think even the likes of Darren Lehman and Mickey Arthur who have well-liked and well-respected people in world cricket and, you know, any sort of friend of theirs is probably going to be adverse to be dealing with Cricket Australia after that. And now Justin Langer's just a whole bigger sort of catchment of past Australian greats who now would be tentative to get into it because it's by the looks of it from the outside and the image it's sort of portrayed is that it's solely based on how you get along with this group and whether they think you're the right fit and whether you're going to take them and to the right place and you know you think someone like John Buchanan who's probably going down as Australia's greatest ever you know national coach so far in, in cricket it wouldn't have lasted long if it was that environment because we know the likes of Shane Ward and co didn't get along with him that well because he was driving them to places they might have been uncomfortable with. And you think, well, is that sort of cancelling out that type of coach going forward who most of the time is your most successful coach, is one who, you know, really pushes a team out of their comfort zone and makes them better. So I think that is a major concern. And the other probably last point I have on it is that 
when we've talked about it this whole podcast series along and this whole season, the only time I think I've continued saying I was comfortable with Langer not being coach was if Cricket Australia had a replacement ready there who was going to be better. And the fact that there's no immediate one that they've gone to, I know there's a lot of talk about Trevor Bayliss and Ricky Ponting's always in mind, but doesn't look like that's going to happen. I still think it's that's a big issue. Is it what's the point of throwing yourself into this whole disarray now if you don't have a replacement who you think is going to be better there? And that's what I'm worried about now is that they've gone and made this big sort of statement by getting rid of Langer or, I mean, not officially, but they obviously drove him out in some way. Um, but now if they don't have a better coach there, then it will just make him look so silly and it'll make it also look so redundant. They go to Pakistan and struggle and then, you know, fail to defend that World Cup on home soil and this new coach isn't getting that on-field success. I think then the public turn against Cricket Australia and all the players, which is a big issue. It's even more amplified now with um, England making their moves with um, Chris Silverwood being removed and their whole coaching backroom staff being removed and Justin Lang has been spoken about as a candidate to take that job as well. So it would be quite humorous if both Australia and England do swap coaches considering the success that Trevor Bayliss had, particularly with the white ball team with England. Um, it could be humorous and I, I agree. Would would Ricky Ponting even want that Australian job now after seeing that, after seeing what they've done to his great mate Langer? I think Gideon Haig put it perfectly on offsiders about Cricket Australia. Is that what they do? If that is what they do to their greats in the public domain, imagine what they get away with behind the scenes and behind closed doors. So I think all in all, just to summarise, is that it's left so many unanswered questions. And I think the way Pat Cummins is wide and the way that is sort of been built in and built up through his career to become this Australian captain and real leader of the dressing room, leader of the dressing room before he was even announced officially as Australian captain is that everything would be calculated and classy. And he even just said, you know, you can date these issues with Justin Langer back to the end of last summer, almost when it's like, you know, Manus Labashain and the toasted sandwich, that's sort of like the first alarm bells going up that, okay, not all might be right here. But it's almost as if like Cummins is really trying to mould his Australian team and trying to get the coach that he wants in where the coach can sort of be the backroom overseer and Cummins can be the on-field and face of this Australian cricket team, which is, to be fair, you and I both play cricket at some level. That's really what it is. It's the captain leading the team on the day and making the most of the plans and everyone not playing their own game because there's a game plan and you're working towards a common goal. But the coach is almost there to advise and manage and present some plans in breaks and whether or not the, Justin Langer was a bit too much of that and trying to do it all and not delegating enough, which Cummins said he did get better at and did tweak later. But I think, as he said, this was this has been a long time coming and I think it's on Australia now to come up with a candidate that is either equal or better than Langer or at the very least you've got to they've now got to get someone which you think that the players will just click with because i think that's the biggest thing well you're right i think it now has turned into that sort of more local type of cricket where it is the captain who's supreme and i think we saw it during the ashes and the you know langer wasn't really seen much wasn't really seen to be saying much didn't really seem to have that much control and was pretty hands-off which in the end when it works it works and you don't question it but now it just looks even more so that it really is Pat Cummins running the show, which in many ways, great. You can't complain with this. We've talked about when he was appointed captain, there's a lot to like about him being the leader of Australian cricket right now. But it also is a problem if it's going to be one person deciding it all who is on field, you know, has a big role to play, has their own emotions on field that they have to worry to control and 10 others they do. And then when it comes off it, they then have to suddenly put a different hat on and get tactical. I think that's going to be something that'll be interesting to watch, whether it does become even more so the Pat Cummins show or whether, as you mentioned, they're going to find someone who manages to do what Langer did but better, which I'm worried that in the, in the coming months we'll find out that there might not be many better at the moment in the world than Langer when it comes to coaching this Australian team. But obviously Cricket Australia are putting their everything on the line to try and show that they think they do. And 
one thing I think is it's just heaped so much pressure back onto Pat Cummins, the team, and Cricket Australia now when it was also un- unnecessary. But, you know, they've obviously done it for a reason. So only time will tell whether they've actually got a long-term plan that's going to work for them or whether this could be a really massive turning point in this fortunes of this Australian team. He wasn't tested on field as captain, Pat, during the summer, but I think this is definitely the biggest test now. And you look at Pat, he's a smart man, he's a kind man, he's not vindictive. He is one that's spoken up in the past about his views and his teammates to make these decisions. And they're not disingenuous, they're just, you know, he's a frank and he's a real person in his public comments and the process was ongoing and I think the way that he's addressed it today and the way okay yeah he could have been a bit more committal and a bit more endorsing about his coach but but during the last few weeks but I think at the end of the day he was trying to not kick the coach on his way out and you almost have one of those um footy situations where it's like oh the coach is the full support of the board and the playing group and then a few days later he's gone so I think he was trying to avoid that and you definitely saw that in the way that Pat released his statement even when the way Justin Langer released a statement earlier this week saying that it's just like yeah he was disappointed not to continue being on coach of the Australian cricket team but he was very happy with the job that he'd done and proud of his achievement. And I think as Australians who Australians love their cricket team. Yeah. Of course, disappointed the way it's all ended, but certainly loving love what Justin Langer has done and will certainly be remembered as a, not a great Australian coach did drop two home summers, but did did go over to England and retain an ashes, won a world cup and, Smash led England led Australia to smashing England. He was going to be is a good coach of Australia, and we await keenly to see what his next move is after he gets out of quarantine and spends some time with his family. Definitely, and I think I agree with you. He's not going to go down as one of our greatest coaches, but definitely being able to do that in probably the past 10, 15 years, I'd say he'd be the best one out of that bunch, and that at least means something because there's been a lot of good coaches in that time and. You know, there's been a lot of instability throughout it, which has been shown now and him getting dismissed. But for a period there, he really calmed everything down. And I think it's not just the on-field results that you will base Langer's sort of legacy as. I think it's the timing and the whole change of what the Australian public came to think of, the, of their national team, which is just as important. And it made me happy to at least hear that Langer was able to recognise that in himself and not get too disappointed because regardless of any shortcomings he might have had that were obviously publicly aired by Cummins and co and that team to be able to mold himself into a different person for them and to get the best out of himself and then them is something that is really respectable and that you know when it's a very personality driven role to be able to put your ego aside is something that deserves a big pat on the back so I'm disappointed that Cricket Australia couldn't give it to him but I think in I think in time will tell and maybe show that we'll all be giving it to him for the next few years and giving him a fair bit of praise because depending what happens next, they'll either make him look like someone who started something right, or he might look like someone who we shouldn't have let go so early. And it will just be interesting to see sort of which way it veers. A team then a group of players that are doing things right are the Australian women's cricket team who have, well, they wrapped up the women's ashes on Thursday and well, they ran away with it in the end with a few training runs at the Junction Oval in the final two one day as they wrapped up the women's ashes by 12 points to four and continued to send warning shots ahead of the World Cup rest day today on Wednesday before flying over to New Zealand tomorrow on Thursday for 10 days of hard quarantine. I think Meg Lanning and a bunch of the girls are out playing golf and stretching their legs for the only time they'll be able to do it in about the next 10 days. But it was pretty convincing in the end and just reminded us everything that of, that we already knew about this Australian women's cricket team is that they're just far too good for the rest of the world. And they enter this World Cup, not reigning champions, but the red hot favourites to win it after brushing England aside. Absolutely. I mean, I think between them and New Zealand, I think that's going to be, it looks 
initially it looks like it's out of those two and it'll be interesting. But, you know, we all know the past few years what this Australian Southern Star side has been able to put together. And it's, I think it's beyond special now. I think it's something that we won't ever see again. And, you know, just as much as we're talking about, you know, Justin Langer and stuff, you've got to give praise to Matthew Mott and everything he's done is just continue to excel. But, you know, they were just clinical, particularly in those last two matches in that Ashes series in the one day is a junction oval. They just, England obviously pretty worn out after a tiring and trying summer, but they just looked like they were trying everything they could to change something. And it just wasn't, it was, it was like trying to walk in quicksand. They just couldn't do a thing. And then being able to have the likes of Talia McGrath, who is now, I think close to one of the premier all-rounders and players in women's world cricket at the moment has just continued to shine with both bat and ball. And then you look at the likes of Annabelle Sutherland who come in and it's probably more scary now looking at this Australian team because they had a fair few injuries and reasons to have things against them this summer. But to be able to triumph the way they did makes them look all the more ominous regardless of who's in the park out of a squad of 25 players that they're going to be the best team there. And that's the scariest thing. You know, you've heard so much about the depth of the Australian women's cricket team, but for years you'd never seen it because it would always be a Healy and Lanning and Hayes and Haynes and Perry doing the job with the bat and the ball. And at times throughout this year, Australia took to the field without the likes of Jess Jonathan, Megan Schultz, Sophie Molyneux, Georgia Wareham, Taylor Valanik was injured, Beth Mooney was injured. I'm definitely missing a couple more. But there were others that continually just had to stand up. And you mentioned Talia McGrath's ascended to one of the premier women's players in the world. Annabelle Sutherland yesterday, a career best haul of four for 31 and was amazing in that test match and just continued on. Alana King's come in and already looked so far at home in um, women's cricket. And then Darcy Brown didn't even play the last couple of games but saw what she could do in the test match. And in that first ODI in Canberra, there's so much depth there. And even, even now they're about to head over to that World Cup. Hannah Darlington is not going to the World Cup, has pulled out on um, well-being grounds. But just even sub in Heather Graham, who's coming off a fantastic big bash and great performances in the Australia A series. And even then um, with the Australia A girls just completely brushing England A to the side, the amount of debt that they've had, and that's all come to the fore now, whereas you can pick good luck picking that first 11 for that um, World Cup game against England. Um, It'll be a tough job for Matthew Mott, but it's just got so many, so many players who are able to step up and do the job for him. Well, I think he's now got everything. I think if you look a couple of years ago, the probably the one bit, if you could pick apart that Australian side who was still sweeping everyone away was, I mean, they probably didn't have those runs that maybe a six or seven that could really kill you if they lost those early wickets. And, you know, if the likes of all their big names at the top got out quickly and there was a collapse, which probably happened once every two years, but you know, if it happened in a big game, then you'd think, well, you could get through that batting lineup then. And then they probably didn't have heaps of premier fast bowlers it was really shoot at the top and that was about it but I think now you look at who they're not able to play which you look at the likes of Nicola Carey has barely got to look in you look at the likes of Phoebe Lidgefield who's a young promising batter has barely got to look in and look at Amanda Jade Wellington hasn't been able to be the premier spinner and you know she's almost third in the queue now for when Georgia Wareham comes back and I mean when it comes to leg spinners not even off spinners which to me is pretty remarkable and I think when when you when you look at the best of the best teams, I think what splits the really top echelon apart from the others is their depth and just how many people are like quality players missing out who would slot straight into any other international team. And some of those I've just mentioned would, you know, Darcy Brown would. I think any other country would be crying out for that opening bowler to come in with raw pace and do what she does. And I think the other thing we're touching on when we're talking about McGrath is what she does is really, I think, complete that batting lineup, which has always been pretty ominous with six of the best batters in the world there. But now to have that top seven and be able to have Ash Gardner come in at seven is pretty scary. And I think now just changes their whole dynamic again. And, you know, if they lose, you know, the likes of Lanning, Haynes and Healy early, then you've still got the likes of, you know, Perry, Mooney, who are batting lower. And then you still even more when you go lower again, you've got Gardner and you've got McGrath. So they just have so many options. And the fact that they're able to now leave Perry out in some games is just another example of how 
they just seem to have everything right for them. So although it does add a lot of pressure when you go into World Cups, you just think that if they're ever going to really make good of this World Cup, then it's going to happen after the form they're in. And regardless of the injuries, just the depth is going to do it for them. The depth will do it for them. And you, you mentioned that, like even thinking back to the test match, they batted all the way down to um, number nine with Jess Jonathan and number 10 as well with Alana King coming out and boshing the ball around everywhere. So it's been it's been interesting to see how they've gone about it and will be even more interesting as well. And like you said, the fact that Nicola Carey barely got a bowl or barely got a look in, the fact that um, Tully McGraw on Sunday wasn't seen until the 40th over, came in, cleaned up the tail, and then on Tuesday was called upon to bowl the first change in the ninth over. So the amount of options that are at, Meg Lanning's disposal and both the bowling order, which we've spoken about a few times, does she have too many options? Well, she's got many options there. She's got many options with the with the bat in hand as well, who can make runs at the top of the order or even down the list as well. So you got so many options. They're completely well stocked. Um, it, we did ask Matthew Mott yesterday, is there one thing that you are missing? And he did say a left arm quick, which um, England seemed to have found in... Um, Tash Farrant, um, which was, I thought she was very, very good. And I guess just on the flip side for England, you can, yeah, they were hamstrung at the beginning with the um, pre-quarantine getting into Australia and then the not quarantining in in Australia, but COVID coming into the camp early. So a bit of a bungled preparation as well with the weather. And then I think the way that test match played out, that would have taken absolutely everything out of them and you could definitely see by the by the time the sec- the last two one day has turned around the they just weren't scoring and you actually put it perfectly they were like walking and trying to run in quicksand they were like on an absolute go slow with the bat and kept on losing wickets and couldn't really couldn't really go i think they've got a few holes to fill um maybe not before the world cup i think before the world cup Definitely trying to bed down that opening batting position. Um, Emma, Emma Emma Lamb debuted yesterday, but got a second ball in swinging beauty from Elise Perry, who just reminded everyone as well what she is capable of. And I think even then, you know, it's going to be a different England side that rolls out for that first World Cup game. Of course, Civil will be able to bowl. Catherine Brunt will be back in the team. But even then... Catherine Brunt and Anya Shrubsall have been opening the bowling for England forever. And you think this might be their last 50 over World Cup and they're going to have to find some new opening bowlers. I do. And I think it's pretty crazy that at the exact same time between the England men and women's team, that they had the exact same problem with the two aging seamers who were still by far and away their best seam bowlers. Um, you know, look at the likes of Anderson and Broad now being left out of that England squad to tour with the West Indies. You think it's probably not far away for Brunt and Shrubsall, who regardless of how well they're doing, you just, in the end, I think England would have been looking at Australia's bevy of fast bowlers coming through just with so much envy because they will be crying out for that exact same thing to be able to have five or six who you can pick from any day and they'll all do the job for you. And regardless of injuries, which we've seen in Australia, the likes of um, Taylor Vlemink being able to, you know, obviously injured a couple of times, but still being able to cover that loss is something that I think England would be crying out for because I, I don't think it'd be too much longer before the likes of Brunt and Trubsell are, are gone and whether it's their own choosing or whether, you know, England cricket yet again decide that they, they're they going to make a stand and, priori- and prioritise their younger talent. It's not far away. And I think it's probably, I think it's so dare to say after this World Cup is probably when you'll be looking at it because then there's a bit of a break to really to work out your plans going forward and develop and, yeah, so I think it'll be interesting to see what happens on March 4 when that first World Cup game happens because it will be a different England lineup, but it might be one that still has a lot of familiar faces, perhaps for the last time. Interesting times, very interesting times in English cricket and also in Australian cricket, but we'll leave that for now. It is time for our favourite segment. <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've seen for a long time. Now, how many of you picked this up? I can't believe it, and he can't either. So, I'm sorry, what? We've gone around the cricketing world, around the depths and 
different areas of social media where things take us in the beautiful game of cricket, the great game of cricket, as Mark Clark always calls it. And we've found things again this week that have made us do a double take and go, I'm sorry, what? Um, (laughs) We've gone, we've gone, we've gone very differently this week. Last week we were very, very aligned. Um, I think this week we've gone very, very different. I think we've gone from compatible to opposites of track, John. I agree. But uh, yeah, well, while you might take the international sort of tangent, I'm honing it back into local and so local that I didn't even need my phone or social media for this one. It, I got to witness it with my own eyes. So mm. on Saturday, obviously playing local cricket, as all of us battlers seem to do, not particularly well, but we try. And I was lucky enough to play with a man who is 61 years old by the name of Tony Balcom in the twos in the Magoos. So I think already pretty good effort to still be playing twos senior cricket um, at, at, that, at that stage of life. But, you know, bowled eight handy overs of Wiley off spin, took about three far. That was fine. By all, by all reports, it was pretty standard for him and everyone, everyone loves him. So we're all pretty happy, but we're chasing 200 and it looked to be going a bit astray when it was, I dare say about, six for 160 with about seven overs left. I'd say even lower score, maybe a 140. We were pretty much behind the run rate the whole game. And Tony comes out in in a hat, um, white hair peeking through a little bit and a little grin on his face after 20 overs of central umpiring where he copped a bit from the other team who were Epping Cricket Club. If you look him up on TikTok, you'll see the Pingers, which is their nickname, not not something I've given them. It's actually their nickname. Um, But Tony's come out and there's, there's a couple of ones bowlers floating in their twos who decided it was a good idea to bounce him and proceeded to hook them away to get going. And all of a sudden he's carving fours through to cover and everything. And then all of a sudden we need five to win off the last over with one wicket in hand and old Tony's still there on about 18, not out. And I was lucky enough to square leg as you know, a lot of the time you hate it, but when it comes down to that finish, you just, you're just going to say not out when they yell at you and you're going to try and enjoy the show. So as I was doing, I offered him some Wardaks, pretty warm, sad day evening. And he's gone, nah, give me five more runs and I'll drink champagne. And has proceeded to bunt away five runs to win with about three balls of spare arms up, got pretty much standing ovation off from locals who are walking dogs and taking kids for a play on the playground next to it. Just everyone had stopped to witness this and, Although it was a big I'm sorry what moment, it was also one of the greater moments you'll see in local cricket because a 61-year-old has been able to help us chase down 200 with about 25 not out off 18 balls to just really take the heart of the out of the pingers. That's so good. That's, that's what you love about local cricket. It's just like it brings everyone back down to earth and brings a level level playing field so you can get bowled by a 12 year old one week and you can get bashed around by a 60 year old the next or maybe even in the same game that's the beauty of a local cricket um well battered tony that's really good i I can imagine him walking out just white hair in the hat not back in my day we didn't use helmets so why am i going to use helmets now and try bounce him and send him and just bop him over um square leg for six or something like that uh, it was almost like he was asking to be bounced. And, you know, some of the fast bowlers aren't the sharpest tools in the shed and they drooly obliged and probably forgot that he probably hadn't bothered to look up in my cricket that he'd carved up a ton in the thirds a couple of weeks before doing the exact same. So he, yeah, pretty much did it again, just only needed a little snapshot this time. So pretty remarkable by Tony, who is a big club legend. Congratulations, Tony. Um, really, really well done to you. Um, my... I'm sorry, what for this week? It is back in the international um, circuit. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you got the memo, Sean. Um, I must have missed it. But apparently this week is International Women's Cricketers Taking Ridiculous Catches Week. Um, did, did you see that or...? Well, I mean, I, I didn't see the press release in a little CA WhatsApp group, but I did witness it with my own eyes and start to see there was a trend going on. Yeah, Take so, us to him, Jono. There were some remarkable so catches taken. Start, started on um, Sunday um, uh, with Elisa Healy just um, taking one literally centimetres off the ground to dismiss um, Tammy Beaumont. Then uh, Meg Lanning thought, nah, I'm going to one-up you and take a ridiculous diving one-handed slips catch off um, the bowling of Annabelle Sullivan to get rid of Danny Wyatt. Fantastic. Then um, a couple of nights later in South Africa, you have Laura Woolver diving through the air with one hand to, um, and just like almost, you know, just nursed it into a one hand, made it look 
so ridiculously easy. And then not to be undone, the queen of um, ridiculous catches in the ring herself, Rachel Haynes, pulls out an absolute screamer yesterday and Dooley throws the ball to celebrate in the air almost like, yep, only you could take that catch. So um, just a note, we missed the memo. Keep it going as well. Um, we want to see this continue all the way through the um, Women's Cricket World Cup. But it's, they've just been... I, Who's been the best? Which catch was the best, in your opinion? Controversial, but I think I'm going Wolver. I mean, that was remarkable to watch, although Haynes was a good late addition. And I originally, for a long time, probably when I thought over this, probably Lanning was winning because the reaction time based on that was remarkable. But Wolver, to be able to spring that much off her legs to jump and pluck it, it just looks so nice. Everything about it was so elegant and clinical that I think almost just the whole visuals of that wins it for me. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, Haynes does it almost every game that she plays in. Um, Meg Lanning's also not immune to a scream. And Elisa Healy, well, she (laughs) moves well enough behind the stumps as well to take some pretty good catches, although that one was... Very, very good. So I reckon I'm going to go with Midge just ahead of um, Laura Wolvard, although I am very much looking forward to seeing Laura Wolvard play test cricket later on this year. So that is one that I am looking forward to as well, which will be fantastic for our natural cricket lovers. So that's it for I'm Sorry What. We're going to roll straight on to this. So quick singles for this week are pretty much going to involve everything else that's been happening in the world of cricket. There's been that much going on. It's been very, very busy. So some quick questions, some quick answers. Sean, new ball for you. If you could have one retired Australian cricket player or current Australian cricket player be your lawyer in court, who would you choose? Mm. And what is this in relation to? (laughs) Well, I, th- I definitely think it depends on the charge. If it's murder, I'm probably not going many of them. Um, not many of them have a law degree, so I think that might be problematic. But, oh, it's good. I mean, I think someone like an Alex Carey would be a good defence lawyer because he's just got those intense eyes to really put a put a client away. But, really? I mean, yeah, I, th- I think overall when it comes to talking, I think, a, I think a Rachel Haynes for me, I think. We touch on her catching, but... I just think she'd have the they right energy. We even spoke energy. about it last week. There's nothing oh, much that you wouldn't trust just, Rach with. Exactly. I just think she'd have, I just think she'd get a really good bond going with the jury and, and the judge. And I think she'd manage to probably be able to sweet talk you out of anything. So for me, I think Haynes is the main one. But if I had to get a real stern Lincoln Lincoln lawyer type-esque character, Carrie's, Carrie's eyes for me. Um, now, I we, we do like these sort of, situational questions, John, and I have one. If you if you could pick one international women's player to fill England's batting lineup in whichever spot you desire, which I'd want you to let me know. I'm, I actually want a batting position with it. Who are you picking? I am picking Sri Lanka's Chamari Adapadu, and I'm popping her into that England top order. Bang, that is your opening combination sorted. Beaumont Wyatt. Get off to an absolute flyer every single game. Adapadu can float. And imagine having Adapadu, Beaumont, Knight, Siva. That's your top order. And away you go Dunkley at five. That's the way that you go. But I think that's not going to happen. And I think Adapadu's got a lot of work ahead of her for Sri Lanka at the upcoming World Cup, which is going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting to see all the women's nations play, but she's definitely my pick and it would be great to see her and Sri Lanka play more international cricket because she's an absolute superstar. She showed in Australia this summer for the Perth Scorchers. Um, so, Sean, um, as much as Australia had a bit of a training run yesterday at the Junction Oval, we saw something pretty sweet from some of the Australian batters. You'll know the shot I'm talking about. Did Meg Lanning hit the greatest straight drive in the history of the sport yesterday? I mean, it is a big call, but we like to reserve big calls for special things. And I think my answer is it's up there. I mean, I think, you know, one of the, one of the great straight drives have happened when you, you just gasp without meaning to, you just, it just take, it just sucks the breath out of you. And you only have to flick your eyes and see it. And you just, 
it just takes it out of you. And that's exactly what Lanning did to me when I saw that. It just caught me off guard quite nicely. I think the only thing that would be matching her up there is another great Australian captain in Ricky Ponting's straight drives when he got going. I think he would have played one or two there. Maybe in that South Africa-Sydney test where he managed to get tons of innings test. in his 100th test. I think he played a couple there that would have been right up there. But I think... I think Lanning's straight drive just for a once-off was just as good, if not better than that, because both her and Ponting have this rare sort of talent to be able to make it look so effortless and it just races to the boundary. Just quietly, watching Lanning and Perry bat yesterday, if you ever wanted to open a, write a new batting textbook, just watch them bat. Oh, absolutely. And it was one of the great moments of the summer, but draws onto a short one. Jono, what was your favourite moment of this whole summer? My favourite moment of the summer, it was probably Usman Khawaja at the SCG and just when he brought up that first um, 100, just I don't think there was a single person at that ground or around Australia who wasn't happy for him to bring up a Test 100 so long after the game and to be able to do it his way, his own flair, all that he'd been through after getting unfairly dropped and then come back in, get the last test. And even now he, he spoke about it yesterday is off to play a test series in Pakistan, which well, it might it very well might be his last um, in last year of international touring. And he gets to go play a test series in his country of birth. And even hearing George Bailey say that he and David Warner will be the starting opening combination it's going to be incredibly special. So I think for me, definitely Usman Khawaja, his return and his twin tons at the SCG was fantastic to see. That's what I absolutely loved. Sean, Sheffield Shield has finally started up again. Um, the great Scott Boland back in the wickets for Victoria. If you're a Victorian, who would you rather see partnering with the new ball moving forward, Mitch Perry or Will Sutherland? I mean, when it comes to the ball, I think I, I like both of them. But in terms of potential, I think Mitch Perry is the one that you're putting a lot of eggs into that basket because I think to be able to come in and obviously have quite a nice whippy action that generates good outswing to a right-hander is not something that grows on trees and it's something you want to nurture and develop. But I think if I'm setting up... Victoria's Shield team going forward, you'd be pretty happy in 10 years' time seeing Perry with the new ball in hand and Sutherland as your first change. He's just going to be economical and always take two or three, almost a Peter Siddle-type role. Um, That's probably how I would structure it, but that is a dream world for us Victorian fans. You want to see probably 10 more Shields in the next 10 years. So World cricket, you have been warned, Perry's and Sutherland's are taking over the men's and women's game. (laughs) That's it. It's happening now. We've caught it now. Now, I'm off to a battle of the McGraths for you, Jono, and Ooh. big call because there's been some you know, play of the series medals won here that you're going to have to pick between, but which series was better? Talia McGrath's efforts this whole summer, and we're talking about probably more the Ashes, but feel free to factor in that India series as well, or Glenn McGrath's 2001 where he just dismantled England and, make, and made Mark Atherton look like he didn't know how to hold a cricket bat. I mean... Recency bias would say Talia McGrath and her whole her whole season's just been crazy. But that that's that was peak Glenn McGrath. Like that's it's almost asking me like if which one which one of my dogs would you have to keep? Would you rather keep if you had to give one of them away? That's like incredibly mean. Um, I Pokenalas dos, but Glenn. Um, is definitely the way we're going with that. Um, here's, a, here's a harder question for you then. Um, after seeing everything over the last couple of weeks and everything we've just spoken about, the Australian women's cricket team, what is your starting bowling lineup for the Women's World Cup? Now, I know um, you've always been into Meg Lanning and saying, oh, she's got so many options, but basically go nine... 8, 9, 10, 11 to pick your bowling order. Okay. Well, I think you're going to have enough bowling options in the likes of McGrath and even Perry if she plays up top that I think you're picking two spinners out of the four in 8, 9, 10, 11. And I mean, at the moment, I think Alana King's one who writes herself in with Jonathan. I think those are your two spinners. Um, and, I mean, Megan Short, you're, you're not going to 
really right off at any time, especially in limited overs because the in-swingers are just impossible. Um, but it's really down to one spot. And, you know, we saw the likes of, you know, Annabelle Sutherland, Nicola Carey around it. But someone like Darcy Brown is fit. I want to see pace. Um, and if someone like Vlaminka was fit, I think it would have been her. I don't think that completes it. But someone like Brown is sitting there. I I'm, would vote for her as that last option. And from there, you know, you've got six bowlers. Good luck scoring runs off any of them um, and not getting out to them in my eyes. That would be pretty balanced. So, Matthew, I hope you're listening and taking notes because I've just cracked the code for you. Um, we're going to skip on, obviously, the Australian men's test squad to Pakistan was announced. I don't think there's anything too surprising, but I'm going to give you another option between two for the third frontline spinner spot behind Nathan Lyon and Mitch Swepson. Obviously, Ashenagar was given the nod, but would you have picked him or gone rogue with Tanvir Sanger for that spot in the squad if you were selector? See, this is interesting because usually with these types of subcontinent tours, they usually pick a young spinner to go ahead with and go away with the team and get that experience. You know, we saw it with Mitch Swepson in 2017 when he went on the tour of India, didn't play. Um, so you you thought in the back of your mind that they would pick someone like a Tanvir Sanger who's been away on a couple of white ball, tour, white ball tours with Australia as and played, just getting that, you know, touring experience and being around the team. And I definitely thought they would have gone with it again. Clearly they've got Mitch, Mitch Swepson in as the um, leg spinner who's going to be the next um, main spinner in this Australian test team once Nathan Lyon does move on. Um, so, yeah, I was surprised not to see Tanvi there, but I think especially in Pakistan where you do need that left-arm spinning option that Ashton Agar is the right call hasn't played much red ball cricket for WA, but he can hold the stick and everyone remembers his 98 on debut, even though it was um, almost 10 years ago now. Um, It's crazy to think it was that long ago, but can bat well and can bowl well as bowled well for Australian test matches overseas. So it will probably be interesting. And Sean, the final question for you is obviously here in Australia, it's just started the brand new season of Australian Survivor. Now, following in the footsteps of the great Queenslander Lee Castledine, which men's or women's cricketer or one of each is most likely to pop up next in Australian Survivor? I think I'm going to have to give you one for each because there's some big suggestions coming to mind. I think to narrow the field, I've, I've ruled out the likes of those who have gone on other shows like SAS, so people like Mitchell Johnson. I think I'm giving a bit of a don't even worry about it. You, you can't go crossing codes like that. Um, but I'm going to go left field. And these have just popped in my mind, so they could be completely wrong, but they just seem to work for me. Men's, Simon Kadich. Something about it screams he'd just be a good intellectual sort of social player on there. Um, and for the women's, I think when Elise Perry hangs up the boots, I could imagine her really thriving that environment and definitely probably winning all the physical challenges. But also, I don't know anyone who would ever dislike her. So I think she'd go a long way socially, Jono. Oh, she'd win. She'd win she'd 100%. She'd have 100% Kadich, should be sole survivor. Cadditch would be maybe top five, I think. And then someone would get wind that he's probably trying to play too many people at once and that'd be the end of him. But Perry, yeah. I just, she couldn't lose. I can see Cad. I can definitely see Cadditch making the jury and then causing some real trouble at the final tribal council. Mm. But I can definitely see Pez going all the way. She's just, she's likable. She's physical. She can chat. And she can make sure that she can pretty much make sure that everything gets done for her in a way. And she gets to the end, she can position herself well in an alliance. Um, very, very good calls. I think that's going to bring us to an end. It's been a big, big episode of the Over and Stump Scrigger podcast. If you like what we do, you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Over and Stumps, all one word, all lowercase. You can see all the fantastic work that we do on www.theinnersanctum.com.au. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. Don't forget to tell your mates as well. Thanks for joining us again, mate. 
Always a pleasure. Good to good to talk sixty-year-olds winning games, and you know who would who would represent us in court. I think that's the best parts of this chat. Sixty-year-olds winning cricket games. Who would want to be a coach and everything else in between? It's just another crazy week in the world of cricket. We will be back next week to talk through it all. But until then, that is over and stumps. <laughs>